This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm Norman Lau, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcasts.roddenberry.com for you to choose from. Science, feminism, even daily news. Boldly go and find us when you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcasts.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Kia ora and welcome to episode 63 of the Half Missions Podcast. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how you doing? Kia ora, Dan. I am good. Thank you very much. How about yourself? I am not doing too bad. Uh, it's really starting to feel like peak winter here in Wellington. The It's getting dark really early. It's getting a little bit cooler. But you know what that means? Lots more watching. That's true. It's, it's so good to be back on the mic again. I don't know about you, but I always find, you know, when we talk about what we've been watching, it just makes me more hungry. Indeed, indeed. Speaking of what you've been, what have you been watching? What have you been watching, Mister Canella? I got a couple of things for you this week, Dan. Um, so your uh, your your peak performance recommendation the other day was Matt Wahlberg, and we we talked about it, and it does inspire a rewatch every now and then, doesn't it? And so I watched uh, Max Payne, the uh, the two thousand and eight Matt Wahlberg movie, and. I haven't seen this, I don't think, since since it actually came out. Um, so it's it's been a while. Um, the synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen it. Coming together to solve a series of murders in New York City are a police detective and an assassin who will be hunted by the police, the mob, and a ruthless corporation. And this one, you may recall, Dan, made it into my top three peak performance as well. That, it's a very high rating because this is uh, one of those video game movies which is appreciated and not appreciated by the critics. Um, as a as a big Max Payne video game fan, I was definitely excited when this first came out to theaters. Yeah, there's look there there is a lot about this movie which which isn't great, but I really enjoy it. Not just because I too am a a Max. Payne fan and Mark Warburg fan, but yeah, it's that it's that connection to the game. So you know when you were, you've talked about Mortal Kombat um, before and, and other movies based on video games. And whilst you know I may not be much of a gamer these days, I do 100% get it with Max Payne because I played Max Payne One and Max Payne Two, you know, 20 years ago on the PS2 for hours, like just for days. Um, and I actually rewatched the trailer for the for the game on YouTube recently, and even that just really just drew me back in. And that's what this this movie does for me. Um, it really draws me into that world. I feel like it tells that that 
the it tells the character story of Max Payne that it, that was always in my head. I always imagined existed, but of course you only get so much, especially in a in a, in a PS2 world. Um, but I just think there's so much about this movie that is just great. They have some really, you know, they really nail the look of New York City. Um, they almost managed to give it a PS2 look somehow. It's very dark. It's very morbid. It's it's always snowing. It's always cold and. They have these great shots throughout the movie where the the camera very deliberately follows Max Payne from an angle like you would expect to see, you know, in the in the game in a shoot 'em up game, and he really nails the walk with the leather jacket and the sharp footfall sound as he's going through like the subway and you know with the flickering lights. If you haven't played the game, this must sound absolutely mental. But even twenty years on. I know that it was really spot on for the game. And it's uh, those are the sorts of things that I came for for this movie. And I had a, a, a really great time watching it. Whereabouts did you find this one, Paul? Uh, this one was on Disney Plus Star. So, um, yeah, I was, I was flicking through the, the catalogue on there. And as soon as I saw it, again, with the peak performance we had the other day, I thought, oh, yeah, I should go back and rewatch that. And, you know, Matt Wahlberg is great in this role. Um uh, but there's a couple of others who show up in the in the cast who I hadn't realised back in 2008. Um, so we got Donald Logue. He he plays uh, Alex, who's like one of the central characters in the game as well. Um, I love Donald from his time in Gotham. We've got Olga Kurlenko um, from Quantum of Solace. Bo Bridges is in there. And of course, there's um, Mila Kunis, who plays Mona Sachs, who was, again, one of those characters who was, who was um, quite big in the game. And Matt Warburg works... Um, really well with her i think they've had a few movies together but um no i mean i guess if i was to be critical of this movie for me they are actually based on things that i loved about the game that weren't quite here so as much as a matt Warburg fan as i am i wish he talked a bit slower in this movie i don't know how much you remember about the movie but um i don't lay that specifically on him maybe it should be on the producers or the directors but one of the great things for me about the the game was that great a voice that was done by James McCaffrey as Max Payne, and and once you have that specific voice in your head for that character across those games, and you play it for days, it's almost impossible to imagine another voice. And so, I guess I'm not saying that Warburg should have tried to have done an impression of him, but maybe just slow him down so he's more in keeping with the with the style and the feel of the character in the game. If you know what I mean. Definitely. I'm actually. I feel like my memories are blurred uh, between the video game and the movie now because I I just remember having such a great time playing the the video mm. game and the, like Max Payne has always been such a, a gritty, hard um, cop and it sort of brought in that bullet time concept which was kind of hot off the the Matrix movies and it it was so badass where you could just sort of slow down time and, and take out a bunch of bad guys and. And then I also remember it being one of those stories, like you mentioned a little bit before, like really dark and obviously a lot of stuff happens to Max Payne's family and a lot of the, the dream sequences in the yes. game or all the sort of flashback. It's, it's pretty gritty stuff and I, I think this is what uh, they always struggle with when they're trying to turn those concepts into a movie. Like two hours often isn't a lot of time to tell those stories and so you've got to make choices around what bits are we going to focus on. We've got to largely account for people that probably haven't played the game but we're also trying to sort of give a bit of fan service and I, I think that's why uh with movies like the last of us that they uh they were working on and now they've they scrapped the movie and have gone to a tv series it's mm -hmm. much easier to sort of focus on that sort of character development and, and tell the story that you want to yeah no i think you're right and i think the fan service uh, was a big one for me because i think there's things that they could easily have done that's 
the 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 casual movie watcher would never have spotted as well and that that's my second sort of criticism of, of sorts about the game is the the music in the game the max Payne theme i can hear it now it's one of the greatest game soundtracks and, and theme songs um even that i experienced as a as a gamer back in the day and anyone who's ever played the game may recall i don't know if you do dan that when you encounter a, a piano in the in the game if you're in a, in a in a building that has a piano if you walk up max would start playing the the max Payne theme song and you know i don't want to labor the point but I'd, I would love to know what happened and why they never went with the theme song because I did for once down do a little bit of research and the composer of the, of the theme song, according to IMDb, never composed any music for any games or movies ever again after this. So I don't know what the reasons were for not allowing their music to be included in this movie because for the for the gamer who, again, who's played this for hours, I think they would have added something. But um, look, you... I think you made a comment last week about uh, the Mortal Kombat movie, and it was along the lines of um, you knew you were you weren't going into something that was going to win any Oscars, or whatever. But that's not why you're there, eh? And so I get that it scores low, you know, on your IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. It only scores like thirty-one out of a hundred on Metacritic. But I feel like if you enjoy these games, then yeah, you would get a little bit nostalgic watching this movie, and it's 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 not as bad as the ratings sort of indicate it is. It's awesome, and I think it's this is what I just love about uh, these different streaming platforms we have is it just presents you with all these old movies which you you know maybe haven't seen for a long time. You can have those sort of flashback fun experiences and just have a good time. Exactly right. Two and a half guns for me on the Guns Akimbo scale for this one, Dan. Seems appropriate for a Max Payne movie. I think so, right? Um and the second thing I want to talk about, and this will actually be the, the final thing for me, because I know you and I have watched a number of things together this week, which is a bit of a first for us. So the second thing, and this was uh, a, a watch inspired by you, Dan. Um, I had it on my list anyway, but that's Stowaway that you uh, talked about uh, last week. Um, so, yeah, this this is this is definitely my kind of movie. And I think you, you called that out at the time when you were sort of uh, saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you haven't watched this one or it's not on your radar, or maybe it was because it wasn't from 50 years ago. I forget exactly what you said, but uh, um, this, this is a, a Netflix movie and uh, it's, it's a real good time. I would say um, straight away, there's nothing spectacular about it but i really like it because of the simplicity of the movie and the fact that you sort of you know you never really see too much drama you don't even see the the, the lift off from the external point of view you see you see everything from within the ship so this is the one you know the, the three-person queue on the mission to mars when they have that impossible choice when an unplanned passenger jeopardize, jeopardizes the life of everyone on board hence the the stowaway um and yeah it's um i just love the you know all of the comms you only ever hear their side of the story you know you, you sort of hear a muffled sound of what they're hearing but you never get to see those people you're talking to you never really get to see anything that the crew don't see or experience and i guess from a budget perspective that makes it probably quite an affordable thing to shoot but from a storytelling perspective um i yeah i, f- I feel like it gives it a really focused claustrophobic view of what that mission would have been like with those circumstances so uh yeah i had a a real good time um definite recommendation for me this one 
I'm interested in your thoughts because um, obviously I think that you know really great cast. Um, I think the the premise of the of the movie is really interesting. I feel like it kind of had all the pieces to do something really great, but it kind of for me it still kind of failed to deliver with its ending. No, I disagree. I really liked that ending. No, I'm so so. No, you're wrong. No, I quite I quite liked the the ending the drawn out nature of the ending the sort of the quiet silence of the ending um i you know that this there's such a dilemma right that this crew face so you know there's there's no option there's no more backups there's nothing they can do they cannot survive with four people on board the mission was given enough air for three and barely three as well right it was supposed to be two but they sort of made it for three um so it's a horrible, impossible scenario. And the, I think the desperation of that and the conversation that comes with it as they try to save four when there really is no way that it can be done is is quite powerful. And there's the line that um, Tony Collette's character says around the, along the lines of, you know, even though there's no way to solve it, that she sort of says to Mission Control, oh, the, the, crew, the, the crew need to do this for their, for their sanity because um, they can't handle the guilt. And I thought that... Um, that that really added a, a really interesting dynamic to it, and I yeah I liked the ending. I, though I do, I do Dan have one question for you, um, which I didn't understand. One thing didn't make sense to me, so I'm going to get you to put your science science hat on. So when um, so you got Daniel uh, what's his name Daniel Dakim Dakim yeah and Anna Kendrick, um, who are oh and side note I've I've never seen. Anna Kendrick in anything I realized other than Twilight before. And I thought, I thought she was real good in this. I felt like when she lost that oxygen canister, her face and her reaction to that, knowing that she basically killed someone on the ship, I thought, I thought she was really impressive. Anyway, when her and, and Daniel Day came outside the ship and they're walking around and they're not, they're not bouncing or weightless and they're in space. And I'm thinking, you know, in this day and age, they should be able to make that look a bit more believable, even on a budget. They let the, they're just walking down the street. But then Tony Collette comes on the comms and she's like, okay, you're going to experience full gravity on the roof. So obviously it's not a mistake. What? Why? I don't understand why in space, why are they experiencing full gravity? What's going on? I thought you, you know, I thought it was Neil Armstrong, one small step bouncing around. What's going on? I'm pretty sure it might've been away that day in <laughs> science class. Right. So I cannot, no comment from me. Maybe someone could uh, write in and we'll, We'll uh, we'll get the answer, but yeah, I just didn't understand it, and I, I haven't made any effort to try and work out or, or research it. But yeah, it was just interesting. But um, now this this um, Daniel Day Kim actually, he's good too. I think he carries quite a lot of emotion on his face. Um, I haven't seen him in much since Lost. Tony Collette's accent kind of distracted me, but that's okay. I I just had to deal with it. I just I wasn't used to. I don't know. I, I think after seeing her in uh, what was that? awful one that not awful it was fantastic but the storyline was awful Un, unforgivable unforgettable and oh, un, un oh the the netflix one yeah. what was that one yeah i don't know the one you mean where she's a detective, detective she? yeah she was yeah. so good in that unbelievable unbelievable yeah. and it was something yeah i mean i think i was kind of expecting her coming into this like that and she wasn't but uh i, I got used to it but um no this one it was definitely for me there's something so, as I said, so singular and pure about a movie like this. It's that confined setting. And when there's no room for anything else, story or otherwise, uh, I love that. So this one, 
this one I'll give three guns akimbo, which is pretty high, I think. But I love pretty this high. One. We're we're uh, we're not in sync on this one, but that's okay. We've got a uh, different different things that we're all about. So that's that's your your watch list at the moment until we get to our mutual shows. Indeed, it is. So what have you been watching, Dan? All right. So based on your recommendation from last week, I gave the Creamery a go, which is the uh, New Zealand TV show. I won't talk a lot about it because we we did talk quite heavily about it last week. Um, but I think. You know what? You're right, Paul. This is a, a great little Kiwi show. This is um, the the synopsis for everyone. Is it's in the not too distant future, a viral plague has swept the earth, and in a matter of weeks, it's decimated 99% of men. Uh, the one percent were sent to a facility in New Zealand, but didn't survive, or did they? Dot dot dot. Um, this is a lot of fun. I think it's everything that you've said. They've really got that um, that Kiwi humour kind of on lock. That sort of dry sarcasm and uh, sort of, sort of wit. It's actually, it's quite a dark show for New Zealand. I thought, like, mm. I feel like I actually don't watch a lot of um, normal, I guess, New Zealand on air TV shows these days. And I was really impressed with the quality, the acting, the storytelling, the the kind of, as I say, the the darkness to the whole thing. Like, it's it's definitely got there's something about it and. Uh, much like you said, this show definitely deserves a season two, and I really hope we get to continue this story um, and and follow our 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 cast as they sort of um, uncover the the story of what's happened to all of these men and um, what's going on behind the scenes. But I think if you're, I think you're right, Paul. If you like things like Flight of the Concords, what we do in the shadows paranormal activity this is definitely going to be up your alley highly recommend you check it out uh in new zealand you can do that on tvnz on demand nice i'm glad you watched it i'm glad you enjoyed it and yeah the ending you you're just crying out for season two in fact in some ways when it ended i was like is there another episode because it was like surely they can't end it like that it was a great ending and that's the thing, right? Because it's only six episodes, and each episode's just over twenty minutes. So we actually watched the whole lot in one evening, and it was a it was a great watch to watch mm. in one day. So, um, yeah, highly recommended. The other show I've been watching, this is one that I've kind of had on slow burn for a little while, and you actually might have finished it as well. As I'll finally finish season seven of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Nice. Uh, we're still we're still going on that, but yeah, we we are in season seven. So, um, look, I won't, I won't go into, into too much details about this one either. I think everyone pretty much knows what you get out of a Brooklyn Nine-Nine. This is our classic sort of palate cleanser TV show in our house. Um, it's for us normally a few laughs. I, I always find I'm a little bit hit and miss sometimes with, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I feel like sometimes it really sort of hits the spot for me and gives me lots of laughs. Other times it's a little bit more cringy. And I don't know why I say that as someone who has watched The Office four or five <laughs> times because the humor isn't that different. But for some reason, it, it doesn't always land with me. But, you know, I had a good time watching season seven. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to season eight. Um, some, some great sort of long-lasting uh, jokes and character arcs in this story. And I think one of my favourites of the of the whole Brooklyn Nine Nine is the Halloween heist. Every time they do anything with a Halloween heist, it's always going to be a banger of an episode. It is um, always a favourite. Um, season eight, as you mentioned, is due to come out this year as well. But uh, no, we've been enjoying it too. I just, I think there's just something about the characters. The mix is so good, but. I think, and I think we've talked about it before, but 
the captain, Captain Holt, for me is is just a different type of him. He's a different level that really elevates the whole show, and I I would I would watch a spinoff about him for sure. Actually, I think when you talk about certain characters, there's I have a lot of love for the individual characters. I think it's just sometimes the storyline. Um, I I really enjoy Rosa, really enjoy Jake. Captain, I think you're right. Captain Holt is one of the funniest characters on that whole TV show, and I think they've really just amped him up every season. He gets better and better, and it's a, it's just a fun time. Uh, then the last thing that I've watched is I've actually seen another movie. Uh, I have seen the movie Nobody. So this is the movie with um, Bob Odenkirk. So, look again, Paul. I know that this is uh, going to be right up your alley. Uh, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into any spoilers for you. But the the basic premise of the show is um, it's a, a bystander who intervenes to help a woman being harassed by a group of men becomes the target of a vengeful drug lord. And so I think the best way to describe um, Nobody is it's basically a John Wick film with Bob Odenkirk as the badass. And this is a lot of fun. This is, and I think particularly as a a big fan of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, it's really fun to see um, Bob Odenkirk actually do something really different and actually really be a, a tough guy. And I think what they've done really well is, much like the the John Wick movies, is they just turned him into a precision killing machine. And it's just so out of character because he's still in my mind. He's still just a lawyer, but now he knows how to use a gun and and fight. And it's got a it's got a great story to it. It's actually got a a great cast in there as well. It's got Michael Ironside in there. It's got Christopher Lloyd. And I I. I had really tried to stay away from the trailers for this. I think I saw a trailer when it first came out and then I didn't watch any more. So this movie, hell of a lot of fun. I give it all the guns. I can't wait till it comes out on a streaming platform and we can sort of do a joint review and review it together. But this is a this is a great movie. Nice. I can't wait for it to come out on a streaming platform as well. And I know what you mean about uh, Bob Odenkirk because he plays that lawyer and not just a lawyer, but just a real cowardice kind of you know part of his character as jimmy mcgill as so so i can only imagine what he would be like in this and i've just noticed when you were talking about john wick that the um the writer derek colstad he's the writer of the entire john wick trilogy um and he's also got a new series coming out uh hitman based on the uh the hitman video game the agent 47 video game as well so he obviously you know he's definitely got that genre but yeah what an extraordinary casting decision to go with bob odenkirk Oh, it's so good. It's it's so good. And I th- there's actually internet sort of rumours and various articles that come out that there actually could be a, a John Wick uh, nobody crossover oh, at some yeah. point. That would be cool. Uh, which, I, which I think is just fantastic to think about. And nobody very much felt like it, it was set in the uh, John Wick universe, so that would completely make sense. And I, I think there's something also great about – I think people like um, Bob Odenkirk when you know they're a little bit older and they still get to play these badass roles. It's it's super cool. Awesome! Oh, I'm really pleased that you uh, watched it and that you enjoyed it. I had no doubt that you would, but it's good to hear. Yeah, indeed. Shall we get into a couple of the things that we've both watched, and maybe should we start with the new Star Wars animated show, The Bad Batch? Definitely. Yeah. No, really exciting to um, get into that. So this is a. 
an animated uh, Star Wars show um, on Disney Plus. And if you are uh, familiar with the Clone Wars and, and Rebel animated series, then you're already going to sort of get a, a sense for what this is going to be about um, if you haven't already. If you haven't seen these shows before, I'm still going to recommend this to you based on what we've seen so far. And so what we've seen so far, Dan, we've seen the the first episode, the premiere episode, which was feature length um, rather than just a, a standard 22 minute. We got a, a good three episodes in one so you got a good a good run and so this is an elite and experimental bunch of clones uh, that make their way through an ever-changing galaxy in the immediate aftermath of the clone wars and the events of revenge of the sith what do you think of the premiere dan i'll tell you what paul this is one where i wasn't I wasn't super hyped for it, but I knew I was probably going to enjoy it. Mm. And I think the reason I wasn't hyped for it is because I feel like we've had so many continuations of the Clone Wars story. I wasn't sure whether I wanted more or needed more, but I thoroughly enjoyed this episode and it was kind of great to be, to be back in the saddle. And I think right from the get-go, when they open up with one of those classic Clone Wars kind of flashbacks and it's narrated about what's kind of going on and, um, and that, it, it, so this picks up basically right at that moment where we're, we're going into the Revenge of the Sith movie. Um, like I've definitely, there's a few, um, quirks which I'd love to sort of talk to you about with the overall, uh, sort of some of the characters and, and sort of the, the premise. But look, overall, this, this was a, a real surpri- surprise and delight and I had a great time. I feel exactly the same. I, I feel like my, I wasn't setting my expectations too high. In fact, I wasn't, I think I, we talked about on one of the news desk se- sections a while back that I wasn't actually too hyped after seeing the trailer. But I have to admit, as soon as I hit play, uh, and I, I don't know, I just had this sudden realization, you know, when you see the Lucasfilm thing came out that I was watching new Star Wars content. I did feel pretty excited. And I think if you sort of just briefly, if we put aside Resistance, the, the series which was geared towards a much younger audience, this is the first new Star Wars series since Rebels, which premiered in 2014. So it is cool to have another, you know, proper series back on our screens. Um, but it's also interesting because it's not just, it is new, but we also we know these characters from the Clone Wars, and now we get to see them in the in the Age of the Empire. So yeah, really, really enjoyable. Um, I I absolutely loved how they wrapped the story around the events of Revenge of the Sith, and, and then played them out in real time to how we would have seen them in the in the movie. But seeing it all from a different person's perspective to what we saw on screen in the movie and they did that before if you remember with, with the clone Wars season seven where they they sort of wrapped that around that as well and it, it i just um it, again even from a casual viewer's point of view i think it, it's great because it gives you an instant understanding of of when this scene the series sorry is taking place in the star wars universe uh, so we've gone from republic to empire we've gone from chancellor to emperor um yeah it's um and you know it, it's interesting because we're, we're we now know because we're in the original trilogy timeline and we're going to have stormtroopers not clones um and yet this story is about clones and we've got Tarkin on Camino you know i guess we're going to see some kind of decommissioning party happening on on Camino so i would say Dan, that the empire are going to put on a morning tea at the very least to decommission that place right 
I think at the very minimum that's that's the least they can do. Mm. Um, and I think they did a really good job at just sort of reminding you where you're at in the Star Wars timeline, like you're saying, and it, it instantly just sort of like like for me clarify. Oh, yep, uh, this is exactly where we are. Let's go. This is happening. Um, I loved that we had a, a young Kanan uh, yeah. in the start of this episode. Like that makes my heart sing. Um, for those non-Star Wars nerds, basically Kanan's, um, he's one of the, the stars of Star Wars Rebels. So really great to see him as a, a young Padawan. Um, some great action scenes. I think they had a really fun time with some big sort of set pieces. In fact, some of the scenes actually felt like, almost like they could be art. Like they'd have these sort of like um, big wide shots where people would be talking and there'd be like other waterfalls or spaceships or whatever around them. And it was just so beautifully put together. You're right. It is the sheer quality of the animation that um, is is quite breathtaking. Every single scene, I feel like you could watch it a couple of times and there's things going on in the background. Just the attention to detail is just is just absolutely immaculate. Um, I agree with what you said, seeing Kanan and having even having Freddie Prince Jr. come back and voice that younger Kanan um, was, was great. I love it how it ties together with that story that they touched on in Rebels when he was younger. You know, you talk about the geeks and the nerds, you can go even deeper because the story of Caleb Doom, we even get that in a canon novel called A New Dawn, which I highly recommend to any Rebels fan to read. And I just love when they do things like that brings the books or the comics or the video games more into the fabric of the universe. It really, it's really great fan service that no one else, if you, if, if you haven't read those books or comics, would pick up on. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there was a few things which I think um, kind of s- stuck out for me. And I think, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier with Tony Collette's Australian accent potentially in Starway. Yeah. I found uh, some of the, like, I, particularly Omega's um, Australian accent, quite jarring in this for some reason. And I, I, I don't know why. I also found... Um, and I think this has always been the struggle with, I think, Rebels uh, and the Clone Wars about kind of the, like, what what age group are they actually sort of targeting this content at? Because on one hand, it's like, it, it is actually pretty dark content um, that, you know, they're talking about actually, you know, wiping out clones. And at the same time, we've got, and this is, this is probably a little bit unfair because it's been this way forever in the Clone Wars. We've got such um, almost... Like just we've got our big bruiser type character. We've got our our brainy one who wears glasses. We've got mm-hmm. our obviously Echo who's who's been around for a long time. But it, it almost was a little bit like cliche that they kind of all filled these kind of like roles. But at the same time, you've got a really adult dark story, um, and so you've kind of got to like either let it slide or just 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 go with it. Really, yeah. Now, what you've touched on there is perhaps one of the reasons I was feeling less hyped about this based on the trailer because at that point I didn't see the bigger story around it and I just saw the characters and I saw you know basically the angry one who's going to be like Hulk-like the whole time the the intelligent one with glasses who did you notice because it's Dee Bradley Baker voices all of the clones uh, throughout the whole thing but they even made the brainy one's voice just a little bit posher as well which I just thought was just outrageous yeah it's just yeah. like there's just no need for it but um 
actually had a, an interesting comment from uh, from Ash and Pamson North who defined it as the A team, the A team in space, and uh, I think he's spot on uh, in some respects. And I think that's why my expectations for this series going forward are lower than they might be for other things. But it's off to a really solid start. I'll be impressed if they keep it up. But fingers crossed they do. A eh? yeah, I think so. Like, and I think. I'm sure these characters will kind of uh, probably grow on me a little bit. I imagine um, costuming groups like um, the 501st is probably ecstatic to see all these new great um, clone troopers that they'll be able to uh, cosplay as. Um, yeah, I, I I think I've gone from kind of a, oh, yeah, it should be okay to actually I'm pretty excited and it's going to be great to sort of watch this week by week. I'm intrigued to see what they do with the story. I like the fact that they've got some other um great star wars characters kind of already in the mix like you know we know that there's talk of fennec shand mm. um there's a obviously seen a, a young sol guerrera is always awesome uh and yeah look it's good i think this is if you're a star wars fan you've got disney plus you should definitely be getting amongst this one Having, as you said, having Saw Gerrera in there was great. Having the scenes with the Chancellor, who then became the Emperor, and having the archive sign, archive sound, sorry, of Ian McDermott, his original voice from Revenge of the Sith, that was great. Um, Admiral Tarkin, he hasn't quite made it to Governor or, or Grand Moff yet. Can I just give a shout out to Stephen Stanton, who does the voice of Tarkin? He also did the voice of Tarkin in Rogue One. He is. Peter Cushing reincarnated that guy. Absolutely brilliant. So authentic. And so having a character like Tack in here, so prominent in this premiere, was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, you know, I think with characters like Tarkin who are so core to the Star Wars universe and when they come on screen and there's no doubt in your mind that that's Tarkin, that's, you know, you've, you've won the fans over. Yeah. So like, I agree with you. Like you said, if, if you're a Star Wars fan, I think you're going to be into this. Um, if you're a, if you're a, an original trilogy fan, I think this will be for you because, of course, you know, it sets just at the formation of the Empire, um, which, is, which is great because we've never seen this this time when the, the Empire was literally formed, those early days in the tack and putting together his, his, his Empire and sort of saying, oh, you know, what, what, what are the needs of the Grand Army of the, of the Empire? Uh, just to confirm... It does take place after the prequels, just to a couple of people in our Discord community uh, who we had a good bit of banter with this week who aren't fans of the prequels uh, like me and you, Dan. This one definitely is in this, um, it's in the original trilogy space and I think that makes it quite exciting because we're we're going to kind of cross over into that period of, um, I guess, even of, of solo as well, as well. So it's um, it's there's a lot of potential here. I think what gets me really excited the most about uh, this is you can actually jump into this having seen none of Clone Wars, um, as long as you've seen the prequels, which are great. Um, then you can still watch you can still watch this and, and have a good time. I think it's exciting because we've actually got characters in here from the Mandalorian as well, and I think mm. it, it's just you know as we always talk about with the Star Wars universe. You know, there's people that generally actually care about how all of this connects together and how different characters can sort of appear at different parts in the timeline. And it's always kind of exciting to see, like, who are we going to see? Are we going to get some Ahsoka in this? Like, like there's a high chance that we could. You know, could this connect to anything from the um, from the Obi-Wan series? Like, maybe. There's so many potentials. And, you know, I said before how this is the first original TV 
since 2014. And so other than, of course, The Mandalorian, I'm talking animation, but of course, we're now going to get this this onslaught over the next couple of years of the of the the rollout of all the series um you know bit by bit there's going to be so much crossover that it's it's going to be great can't wait and i i bet you people like sador and our discord channel will be just absolutely ecstatic because i know that they're big fans of the of the prequels correct yeah we've got sador and 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 virgil uh both uh, both piping up with a bit of a bit of a comment on the on the prequels which um was good to see um I recommend this show to both of them. <laughs> Great. Shall we uh, move on to Fear the Walking Dead? Yes. So this is season six, episode 11, The Holding. And then we've been on a a really good run, haven't we, with Fear the Walking Dead? What about this week? What do you think? Yeah. So this week was a... Uh, interesting episode so this is basically where an infiltration turns rescue mission as members of the group uh, dig deeper into an underground community so this was a I actually overall enjoyed this episode Um, I think yeah no I think it was a good episode I enjoyed seeing Alicia and the crew kind of visit this new um, new community, try to get a bit of a sense of, of who everyone is. I kind of was interested in their whole philosophy around actually um, death, sort of returning to the earth and, you know, growing and starting again and that whole sort of ethos. I think one thing the episode did that was a little bit frustrating for me is they kind of played tricks with us, particularly with sort of camera pauses and um, where they'd sort of cut scenes that the people that were actually running this new community, like we were going to know them. Mm. And it turns out we didn't actually, there weren't any character that we know from the, the wider universe. I think what this episode does do quite well, though, is I actually think it starts to bring in the, what are we calling the group with the three rings? The I knew you'd ask that. But we've seen them before. I'm gonna. I'll look it up while you're talking. I can't think there. Yeah. So, um, obviously, uh, Ali in this group has a connection um, to to this group, and by the sounds of things, it's looking like they are looking to almost kind of maybe fire off a, a nuclear weapon or do something horrific to the surrounding land so they can kind of restart, rebuild, and it's looking like they're going to make contact. Which I think what could be interesting from this is even though I've completely forgotten about the um, the woman from this group that Ali met with, I completely I can't remember what she looks like, and there was sort of that moment of actually, is she one of the, the walkers inside, inside this community? But it turns out she's not. I think what this could be doing is it's kind of setting the scene to actually start connecting together some of these wider sort of story points, and if they if they do sort of start bringing that together, that actually then starts to have connections to a world beyond and other things. That's right. And that that was one of the, the things that I took from this episode that I really enjoyed. Is this is the alliance of the three, uh, the alliance between three fortified cities. So we've got the Civic Republic, um, the city of Portland, uh, the city of Omaha, um, the campus colony. And so, and it's, it's indirectly referenced across all three series now, as, as you've, as you said. And I think that's quite, quite exciting because having those things come together, I think has always been, that's the strength. We just talked about it with Star Wars, right? About those things that cross over that just link, link things together, just brings a bit more story, a bit more meaning to things. And, um, 
and I guess yeah, we got that's that was a, we finally got that aha moment, aha moment. You know what I mean? Uh, around that whole, we've been seeing this graffiti. The end is the beginning message. We've been seeing it over the last couple of seasons of of Fear the Walking Dead, um, and so then we finally get to meet this 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 cult, this group, and um, and their their leader Teddy. Although I will quickly just stop on that point of Teddy for some reason. The anticipation of this guy and the build-up of him and hearing the messaging being repeated over the loudspeaker all the time, coupled by the fact that we've known that some group of some sort was coming for some time, I kind of had really high expectations for this guy. And with respect to the actor uh, John Glover, who played him, I felt a little underwhelmed about finding out that this guy was basically, I don't know, like a like a hippie-looking Santa Claus. But maybe that's unfair. And this... No, and I think that's what I was saying. Like, I feel like the way they were using sort of different camera angles and different cuts really implied like it was going to be someone we knew. Mm. And it was annoying when it wasn't because they kind of really kind of played with us. Yeah. And I guess I was, I guess I'm, I am saying the same thing, but I guess I'm also saying even if it wasn't someone we knew, I was just, I don't know, I was just expecting like a, like I wasn't expecting Harrison Ford, but I was expecting some kind of big gun or or, or something. Maybe this guy will grow on me over time. I I don't know, but um, but yeah, we'll see. It, it was no big big deal, but it was just like you said, they were just playing with us a bit. And I think this is the challenge, right? And this is the challenge that um, uh, the Walking Dead has all the time: is if you have a big bad and then you kill them you then have to basically start building up. And I think what would actually be kind of interesting is actually to kind of maybe have multiple big bads going at once because imagine a Walking Dead universe where there's Alpha walking around and there's Negan and they're trying to sort of deal with different fronts and actually they're all kind of like warring. That would kind of Mm. be interesting then to maybe take one down because it always feels like here we go again when they introduce another um, potential big bad and i think what you ne- what you never know with a bad guy like teddy is 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 this going to be a, a short run bad guy or is this going to be a a season long arc that we move into oh that's a real good question my gut feel will be there'll be a big arc here but um i don't know i think they've put a lot of work into creating this place this underground um uh set and i don't i actually want to focus on that i don't want to worry Dan into thinking i'm i'm keen to join some sort of cult <laughs> but this place they've got set up i think it's great i think i think in a world full of zombies it makes sense you know for 10 years of zombies to go underground right i think you know there's a real big risk having one of them inside as kind of a bit of a shrine i think that's a that's absolute insanity i think you need to maybe somehow cage that up a little bit if you want to have that type of ornament i also think it was great actually for alicia to really like have an episode kind of not of her own but of her own to do some some big action scenes mm. i am um, yeah no uh, I'm, i want to talk about that as well but just to quickly finish off the the point of this place i just think it looks so appealing and i think after a decade of zombies i would just be i mean i don't even like you know it's a real first world thing but i could, even this the idea of camping just is too much for me i, I just can't go so if i was to see this place and you know they've got power they've got water they got fresh fruit and vegetables there's no weapons down there it feels safe i feel like it seems like everything that any of our three walking dead 
show crews would jump at the chance of finding or, or creating themselves. So, uh, I, yeah, I just think it's, um, whilst there's obviously a lot of crazy going on down there as well with this doomsday cult, the place itself checks out. Yeah, look, I think it, it makes sense. Um, Alicia was real good to see uh, her and getting her in some real good action scenes being a bit more of that badass that you were referring to a few weeks ago that we hadn't seen. And, you know, I think even just last week I was, I was kind of calling out the writers for, you know, both her and Al both conveniently being sort of missing in action. And, um, I think her, when she had that fight, she, you know, she sort of showed her, her worth again. And, um, I was just flicking through a couple of comments on this, uh, IMDb page and a lot of people are saying the same thing. Great to have that. Great to have her back. Um, I think, she, you know, she has been a, a character since the very start and um yeah they, they should be paying more attention to the the core characters she's the number one um credit on the you know on the on the theme credits as well after after morgan so yeah i think what's always interesting with um i think the way they've dealt with alicia is obviously she got she said she would catch up with everyone after sitting the fire which i feel like she could have actually just gone with everyone it's always frustrating to me when characters kind of get left behind for no obvious reason and then she kind of got captured and actually ends up having another great fight scene where she stabs that guy in the eye um before meeting teddy Mm. and it's going to be interesting now that obviously the the rest of the team got back to morgan so they're going to have to send a search party or potentially alicia will escape but it's yeah no look it's i think overall it was actually a good episode and i think because this is the type of episode where they could have also got it so wrong because, you know, they're introducing a whole bunch of new concepts, they're introducing a new bad guy, they're introducing um, potentially, you know, Alicia and um, Al and some of the others are lesser known characters, but still I think that they did a good job at um, telling a good story, introducing new content and setting this up for, I guess, the, the remaining episodes of the season. Yeah, no, I agree, and and not just that, but the introduction also. We're talking about introducing. We've got the introduction of of Wes's brother, who we've never, be, you know, we've never met him before. We thought he was dead, and then <laughs> within twenty minutes of him being back, well, he's gone, which is a bit of a shame because I think I really liked him uh, beneath that sort of nice guy smile. Obviously, he was a little bit loco, but um, I thought it was a real nice moment for for Wes and Derek. That was a, that seemed like a real good, genuine embrace of two people that thought they were. You know, both gone but um my my probably my major gripe about this episode similar to what you said about the the camera work but just i don't know i don't know about you but i just could tell the instant that we meet this new group you know and they're, they're, they're coming across as all nicey nice you just know that they're just going to be absolutely crazy and i don't know how i'd do it any better but you get those crazy vibes right from the start and i just feel like is there no one normal left in this world and maybe that maybe there isn't after 10 years of zombies on the planet but it just feels like everyone's everyone other than the groups that we follow in our show everyone else is completely crazy yeah no i think you're right like i think in this new world everyone's basically trying to kill you make you part of their cult eat you or and i think you're right because it very much reminded me of the from the main walking dead when they uh, went into that campyard with the cannibals Mm. and you know it's just a matter of time before like something horrible like that happens again so you can see why nobody trusts anyone but at the same time 
all of the camps kind of have the similar rules, right? Like you can't bring your weapons in here. We've already got our own community. We'd like you to be part of it, but you've got to follow our rules. And so they're all kind of the same thing, just with a slightly different focus. No, absolutely right. And I guess I guess this maybe the, the, this is one of the things they're they're running out of content. But one of the things that we have got now is this: the Alliance of the Three. Not just with the three series, but of course with this this much talked about, certainly on this podcast, the Rick Grimes movie. I'd love to see all these things just come together, particularly as we've got the main Walking Dead series ending on this 11th season. I just feel like there's a real opportunity to bring these things together really well. It doesn't have to be like a direct crossover, but just bring those stories to fruition that can really lead into the movie. I'd even love it, actually, if there was just more talk about, particularly like from Dwight and Morgan, um, like more talk about the others. Like, oh, I remember when Rick was around. Oh, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great writing, Dan. I don't know really why. And I'd, I'd like to have one of the characters deliver it with that New Zealand accent as well. Oh, yeah, that was pretty cool, eh? <laughs> Indeed, indeed. No, look, um, overall, it, it was good. Um, we've seen far worse than this, so <laughs> this, defi- this, this definitely gets top marks from me. Agreed. This is actually the second highest rated episode of this season. Um, I, I, I wouldn't put it as high as that. I think we've had the last three have been better, but um, yeah, still still good stuff. Um, and talking of good stuff, then, season four of The Handmaid's tale is back and this week we got to watch the first three episodes yeah um it's great to have it back it's uh it's been i feel like it's been a long time since we watched some handmaid's tale and i i kind of like this new model of actually just giving us three episodes to really kind of um get us into it and get us comfortable and then kind of like getting the sort of weekly flow on. I think um, we obviously ended the last season on a, on a really big cliffhanger of uh, all of the handmaids basically helping smuggle out the um, the children. Uh, June got shot at the, at the end of season three, and we didn't know whether she was going to survive, which obviously she was going to survive. And then this – I don't know about you, Paul, but these three episodes – took us on a bit of a, a journey that I felt like took us one step forward, two steps back, um, but have kind of – it's almost like these three episodes, like we're three in, but I don't know how much further ahead we actually are as far as, far as the sort of the overall plot and premise of the show. That's a, that is a really good observation actually because I think that sums up how I'm feeling too. It's kind of – I think it's a really strong – starts of the season uh i think uh, it's action-packed right out of the gates uh, that much for me i really did enjoy but in terms of yeah if you were to try, attempt to summarize the story in a meaningful way that if you were to try and explain it over a course of four seasons I don't, I don't know what these three episodes would give you as a contribution towards that so that's exactly right what you said um i think yeah as you say we we find out that june's obviously okay albeit she's unwell for a while um but there is there they they really deliver the tension and the and the drama and the emotion of of moments so well in the in these three episodes. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of great moments in this. One great moment that sticks out for me was when you've got those handmaids running down the street, running for their lives, and then we get that great slow motion shot of them and they're heading towards the train tracks. 
and they know they've got to get to the tracks before the train so that you know so that the train can then protect them from the gilead pursuers i think those moments are great but yeah i just i need the story to to move a little quicker because the episodes they're like about an hour long aren't they so we've we basically had around three hours and i um yeah I, i'm really keen i was hoping and again I, this is my own fault for watching the trailer i was hoping we might explore the response of gilead gilead's response to to, to everything that's happened and i i think we've had a taste of it but I, i'm really keen to get some more of that yeah i think what's interesting for me about this about season four is i'm really ready for june to become a badass Mm. and i think what i constantly experience with this show is her not being a badass and it always kind of implies that she's kind of heading this way and i want her to be the sarah connor of the resistance i want people to look to her and she is the shining example of leadership and i think there's moments throughout this whole throughout these three episodes where that does happen where people look to her as a leader they think of her as leading the resistance they're looking to her for guidance and she supports and she she kind of has glimpses of where she's like, this is it, we're going to do it. Or she'll sort of talk back to um, the, the the young girl, um, mm. I can't think of her name, who was uh, who wears the green. But, um, <laughs> I know who you mean. It doesn't, yeah. The lady of the it house. It doesn't, the lady, the lady of the house. But she's always kind of on, on, the, on the edge, like, you know, there's that scene with Aunt Lydia where, you know, she finally could actually end Aunt Lydia, who by all accounts needs to be finished. Um, she, <laughs> she could, um, I don't know, she just, I want, I want more for her. I want her to be a force to be reckoned with. I want Gilead to be afraid of her, but she's kind of always sort of pushed back into this box. And, you know, in that scene where she's like, I give up, like, just kill me. Like, it's kind of like, no, June, like, we've come this far. Like, you, you're more than that. Like, you you are meant to be the, the hope, the fight for change. And I think I don't want to go – I don't want to go too far back because when I think about season one, it was really interesting because you were talking, you were focusing on a ha- what a what is the life of a handmaid inside mm-hmm. a house, and it was quite narrow, like almost kind of narrowly focused and sort of slowly sort of building up that momentum. And as we've gone kind of out into the big wide world, and we're kind of getting a bit a, a bigger sense of what Gilead means, and you know, there's all this talk about fighting on the Chicago front and. Um, her different relationships with different people but again unless she's going to be something we might as well go back to her living in the house like i i just want to know where we're heading paul and i'm hoping that season because i know i've seen comments from people online that like the show needs to end they've kind of run out of stories to tell but i actually think they've got a lot of story and i think there's some good stuff to be done but it needs to be done with a real sort of i don't know power in your step Okay, so there's several things to pick out of what you've just said there. Firstly, I'll go with the last thing you said about the comments. I don't know who these people are because these episodes are rating real high. Like the third episode is 9 out of 10. Uh, this is this season four premiere is the most watched Hulu series event ever. They've never had anything watched more than this. So, so it's ticking a lot of boxes. We've said what we've said about the story. So I'm not sure where that's coming from because there's 
beyond the the story, I don't know what else I'm criticizing here. I disagree with you a little about that. I know what you're saying about the June comic, but I think in the context of the world that she lives and operates in, I feel like she is. I feel like she is the leader. I feel like she is the badass. I feel like she is the uh, the, the eyes. You know the 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 eyes as they call them. Uh, declare June a menace so that, that must be destroyed before she takes down Gilead. I think that's recognition of how much of a leader she is and how much chaos she is calling. I, I know I know what you're saying about how she's it's like a two steps back, but in that context, in that world, in the, her position constantly on the run, I don't know how she could be much more. But, you know, even for an organization like Gilead, who's like, we're ripping people's eyes out, we're sewing their mouths shut, they finally capture June, and she's a menace, but they just kind of like, you know, give her a new outfit and like, let's assign her out to a, a new family. Like, if she's really a menace, like, like is she? Is she a menace? Because I feel like if she is, you're obviously a organization that is has no qualms doing horrible stuff. So, and I know they can't because she's the main character, but it's... I know, I just often feel like it's a bit of a, a juxtaposition of where it's heading. Yeah, and the, actually that's a good point, uh, the main character, because Elizabeth Moss, as as June, is a great lead actress, and she is the lead, and we, we knew she was never going to, she was always going to make it through, so there was never a doubt there. And, you know, I remember we talked about her when we reviewed uh, the movie The Invisible Man, you know, about her strength in, that, in this kind of a role. Um, but at the risk of being actually a little bit controversial... I actually, I don't, it's not that I want to see less of her, but I really hope we get to see some of the other characters have some really, some really big parts in this, in this fourth season and just have some of their roles just rise up to the surface. People like Nick, who's obviously, you know, he's, he, he's betrayed her previously, but now he's, he's seemingly still trying to be looking out for her. Um, working for Gilead, I feel like he's going to have the, you know, is he going to be the, if we talk about this in a, in a Walking Dead sense, is he going to be like the Eugene who's on the other side but actually is still part of the core group? I don't know. And just going back to your previous statements, you talked about Aunt Lydia, who by all accounts needs to be finished. Aunt Lydia is absolutely incredible. I have forgotten just how good the actress Anne Dowd is as Aunt Lily. Her voice, her facial expressions are second to none. And I would go as far as to say, as a character, I would place her in my top 10 TV characters of all time for no hesitation. And that's how highly I rate her, but particularly because of that performance and that amazing voice of every line from Anne Dowd. I just, I can't get enough. I was devastated when i saw she got taken out and she fell down the stairs because i thought she was finished but no dan no she's not finished i feel like paul you've disagreed with me twice tonight That's and um, i'm not sure how i, I feel like i'm you, not sure how i feel about it you get three strikes look, i right? think <laughs> i think um look i don't i think the acting of everyone on the show is great I think that I really enjoyed the three episodes. I just feel like I I really want to sort of come out of season four with a, this is what season four was about. This was its purpose. And we're working towards this. Like I guess I'm just a little bit unsure of what we're working towards at the moment. And I also want to see more from Toronto. I want to see more about the response that's going on there. I, just the world response. I'd love to see a bit even bigger response to the United States of America has been reduced down to a couple of small places in there. It's basically Gilead. Like I'd love to learn more about that. I think I've said this before, but I'd love, I'd love a prequel series that 
goes straight into that Gilead pet. I think you're right. Like, that would be really interesting because I think, you know, even when they showed the, the CIA capturing the uh, Waterfords, um, it, it, I instantly had a whole bunch of questions. Like, so is the CIA now kind of like a splinter department, like off, off America that's kind of not Gilead? Like, how does that all work? Like, I, I was intrigued about the, how the government services run. That seems like a really boring TV show that no one wants to know, but you know, what is the, what is the in- infrastructure and what is the what is the landmass of Gilead now? Yeah, I want to see the transition of the United States of America into Gilead. I want to see how that happened. I want to see it drawn out over a good three, four seasons. I will watch. I watch it all. I'm fascinated because I have so many questions as to how, what, what this world is. How the well, not this world, this country, this 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 state, how it came to be is is absolutely fascinating to me and how so many people came to share this view, um, this this very extreme view, and 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 now you've sort of got the rest of the world, or at least what we've seen, certainly from Canada, um, being the eyes of the audience and just sort of seeing how, you know, the, 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 f- the females are being completely, um, you know, their position in society has been reduced down to, 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 to very little. They, they're not able to hold any positions. Uh, it's a, there's, I mean, there's a whole host of things we could go into, but I would love to know more about how that happened. But uh, who knows? We may get that over time. Indeed. Indeed. No, look, it was good. I am looking forward to watching uh, episode four. Um, it, we're going to be talking about this for a long time, uh, or for at least the next sort of dozen or so episodes. So that will be uh stay tuned. If you want to, get amongst the handmaids uh, conversation come and drop us the thoughts in the discord and uh, we'd love to love to hear what you think and of course if you don't want to hear what we have to say about the handmaid's tale then just always use the show notes and skip ahead to the next bit which this week dan is our movie of the week segment yeah so each week paul and i take turns to choosing movies of the week uh this week we have watched the movie red joan if you'd like to find out what movie we watch then you can also find that in our discord channel paul what is red joan all about so red joan uh 2018 movie uh streaming on neon here in new zealand this is the story of joan stanley who and this is a true story who and she was exposed as being the KGB's longest serving British spy during the uh, during the Second World War. Um I I'll uh, I'll kick us off then with this one. I um I feel like the the poster, the the synopsis really, really appealed to me and I was really excited to to go away and watch this movie. Overall, uh I thought it was fine. I did enjoy it. I don't think it was spectacular, but I I, I got enough out of it, and I'll I'll touch on that later as we talk more. But um, yeah, I'm keen to hear you first of all. What are, what are your um initial reaction? Yeah, look, I thought this movie. I think fine is is a good summary, and I I think it's a good summary of the movie. I don't think fine should be associated with Judy Dench because she's a treasure and is just such a a top tier actress. And I kind of wanted to see more of her mm. in this movie, but not at the detriment of the outlay of um Sophie uh Cookson. Um I think was it was fantastic as the younger version of um uh, Judy Dench, but it was just kind of I, I feel like 
I was advertised a, a Judy Dench movie, and I I didn't quite get it, but I ha- I had a I had a good time, and I think I it, I actually think what this movie does do is it actually kind of makes you think a little bit around what being a a spy meant in this, and what was her what was her reason for doing what she did, and it's not quite as maybe black and white as you think about when you think KGB spy. Mm, no, exactly right. And um, just to your point about your advertiser, Judy Dench movie, I know exactly what you mean. Because when I saw the poster, and of course, it's her face that takes up most of the poster. But actually, Sophie Cookson's name is the first one on the credits. And in the movie, Judy Dench is only in it for like, I think, 20-25% of the movie. The rest of it is back in wartime with, with Sophie Cookson playing the character of Joan. So... um you're absolutely right, though. The, the word fine being associated with a Judy Dench movie, it isn't, it isn't good enough. She is one of the best. She always gives a great performance. I do I do struggle, I've noticed of late, to disassociate her from her role as M. Somehow her playing a uh, sort of the, that, the, the doddery, confused lady-type character, I, I don't know, I, I always expect her to snap out of it at some point and say where the hell is 007 you know, or something i just feel like she's she's i'm just not convinced she's she's clearly got all her marbles then um on the other hand i thought sophie cookson as the young joan i thought she was she was very good i don't recall seeing her in anything before but i i thought she was good i thought tom hughes as leo was was good he's got a great voice ben miles he was in the capture we like him he was good as judy dench's son um uh, Look, as a, as a true story and something that we can look on back, you know, with that with that benefit of of hindsight, I don't I don't know how I feel about the fact that she was a spy. And it's kind of like what you said about how it's not so black and white because, you know, she seems like you know as Judy Dent, she seems like this nice old lady, and, and and then when we see her when she's younger, she's very intelligent and she's very she's very altruistic and caring for the for the the greater good. You know, she's that kind of a person, and then. I kind of find it hard to take those things and then label her a KGB spy in the sort of I don't know the the stereotypical sense of what those what we normally think of because she's not what I think of in that respect. So I think what she did for the reasons I get that, but yeah, I, I do wonder how I would have reacted back then at that time if she had been exposed at that moment. So I think that would have been interesting. I don't know how that would have gone. You mean during the wartime? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, yeah. I, I think that would have been a, a far different, a far different outcome. But I guess for those who haven't seen this movie, the the big the big thing with this is basically she she is information um, with some other KGB agents um, to uh, basically to share the technology for after the bombs dropped on Hiroshima, uh, she shares that technology with with Russia because she doesn't she she doesn't think just one country should have that much power to um wipe out and, and kill seventy two thousand people. And so her her train of thought for doing this isn't that I want to I want to betray uh, the United Kingdom mm. or um she's just trying to create um I guess equality but in kind of a, her own messed up way. And I think if anything she was a she was a target of the the KGB for I guess her 
um, her education and, and the, the type of field that she went into. So she was kind of sort of guided into this probably and identified from the, from the outset. But yeah, it is. it does make you think it's not quite as black and white as just being a, a KGB spy. Yeah, no, well put, well put. Um, I, I don't have much more to say, Dan, about this one, which is, which is a shame because I normally, as you know, I have a lot to say. But I, I, look, everyone played their part well. I thought it was coherent. I thought it was well-directed. As always, we've said it before, I always love a true story. I thought that the um, the period piece, you know, back in the wartime, I thought that all looked good, all of the buildings, all the vehicles, all the costumes, everything felt perfect, but it just didn't do enough for me somehow. And I kind of feel bad saying that when it's based on a true story because I'm not asking them to use creative license to Hollywoodize it and glamorize it. I don't want that, but I can't put my finger on it, Dan, but... I'm giving this one just a two guns. Yeah, look, I think it's a, a two gun is a is a good summary. This is for me a classic watch once and never watch again movie. It's not one that like I I probably wouldn't recommend it to someone. I'm probably definitely not going to see it again. But I'm to be honest, I'm glad I've watched it. And I think this is what I sometimes like about our our movie of the week is it gets me watching a movie I might have just glossed over. Um, and I actually feel like you know it's challenged uh, my thinking it's kind of exposed another little bit of uh, history to sort of think about things differently and you know I didn't have a terrible time it just could have been better yeah no I think that's uh, I think we're on the same page Dan Um, for once I'm agreeing with you and on that thank god Paul I don't know if I could have handled another another outrageous outrageous shall we move over to the to the move to the news desk let's do that all right, so I've got quite a bit of uh, superhero news actually uh, on my desk this week. So there's been uh, a bit of an update to the um, Marvel MCU Phase Four schedule. So I thought I'd just run through quickly some of the the now upcoming movies uh, in the the Marvel universe for those of interest. So. The first one, or the, the one that we've got coming up next, is going to be Loki, which is starting on the 11th of June. And I think another bit of news actually attached to that is, so normally with uh, Division and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we've been getting those on a, a Friday here in New Zealand. They're actually shifting those to a Wednesday, which I think will be interesting. And I guess they must have some reason for doing that, but I've quite enjoyed getting them on a Friday because it's going to be an end of, wor- end of work week treat. Mm. So... But this Loki TV show should be fantastic. I'm expecting good things. Then straight after that, we've got um, Black Widow, which is coming out on Disney Plus um, premiere and in theatres, and that's on the 9th of July. After that, we've got the the What If series, which is still sort of doesn't have a firm date yet, but summer 2021. Then we've got Shang, um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That's coming out on the 3rd of September. We've got Venom, Let There Be Carnage, that's due 17th of September. We've got the um, the Eternals, due on the 5th of November. We've got Spider-Man No Way Home on the 17th of December. Um, and then moving into sort of, it says late 2021, but I imagine this could probably slip into 22, is Hawkeye. Um, we've got Miss Marvel. Um, and then definitely moving into 2022 is Morbius. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel, Captain Marvel 2, The Marvels, Ant-Man and the Wasp, 
Guardians in the Galaxy Volume 3, and then potentially Fantastic Four. There's so much coming, Paul. And then we've got Blade. Blade! Disney are taking over, Dan. They already have, haven't they, to be honest, but they're now in the streaming platform and all the rest of it. They're, there's no stopping them with Star Wars and all these things. I feel like they're, they they have going to have such a a powerful platform. Like you imagine sort of five years from now, they're going to have so much good. Between all that Star Wars and Disney content, it's just going to be, and Marvel content, it's going to be epic. Uh, speaking of uh, Fantastic Four, there has been, apparently the, this is only rumoured, but there's talks to try and get um, Emily Blunt and John Kroniski in as, um, as part of that Fantastic Four. Which is going to be great. Sorry, John who? Let's not, let's not go there again, Paul. Okay. It's too soon. It's too soon. Moving away from superheroes, but still, I guess, in the the supernatural universe. So you may remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the Irregulars TV show, mm. which is basically set in the, the Sherlock Holmes universe. It's unfortunately been cancelled by Netflix after just one season. So I never actually came back to this as a as a review, um, and I can kind of understand actually why it was cancelled. Like I enjoyed it, but it didn't do anything new and ground, groundbreaking. It has had quite good reviews, so I wonder whether it might sort of appear on another platform. But a bit of a shame for the the cast and crew of that TV show. Yeah, I never got around to starting it, and I actually had a few people at my workplace talk about it, and they all sort of really lingered on the point of it being that supernatural feel to Sherlock which um which didn't appeal to me so I'm guessing now with just the one season I, I might I might not bother yeah I, I think you'd be you'd be safe passing I, I don't think it does anything shame um yeah anyway and then my final bit of news so uh this is a new podcast that's coming out uh from the it's a Lord of the Rings podcast starring uh Marion Pippin which is obviously uh Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd and they are starting a new podcast and it has got a fantastic name. So this is purely going to be a Lord of the Rings podcast. And they're going to talk about stories from the show. They're going to interview um, special guests. I'll do a whole bunch of trivia and stuff like that. But the name of this podcast is The Friendship Onion. The Friendship Onion. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it's the most hobbit, the most hobbitish, funnest podcast I've ever heard in my life. The Friendship Onion. I love it. That is amazing and i love you know how you listen to the the office podcast uh, the office office girls but uh, with pam and ladies office ladies that was it yeah um i i listened to uh, a star trek voyager one which is from two of the crew i think when you've got people that starred in the movie or in the tv show whatever it is going back and talking about it and interviewing it's just it's so much fun to listen to it's um i think that'll be great i think that'll be really really good I think too, it probably inspires, it'll probably definitely inspire, in fact, another Lord of the Rings and Hobbit rewatch, I imagine, sometime in the very near future. But that's all on my news desk, Paul. Anything from you? Yeah, just a couple of things to add into that. We've got um, Tom Hanks. Uh, he's going to be in a new science fiction drama on Apple TV called Bios or Bios. I don't know how you're pronouncing that, but Tom Hanks plus sci-fi. I'm already sold, so that one's coming later this year, so look out for that one. Um, John David Washington uh, is going to be headlining a new sci-fi movie directed by Gareth Edwards, so that caught my 
eye for a number of reasons. John David Washington becoming a real up and coming, you know, movie star with Tenet and other things. Uh, a sci-fi movie is always good. And Gareth Edwards, I am a huge fan of. I, you know, he was just so good as the director of Rogue One. I'm excited about that. Another movie that's coming out called Awake. Uh, this is a, a, a post-apocalyptic movie where no one in this world, Dan, can fall asleep. That, I'd rather have a world full of zombies, to be quite honest. I don't think I would, I can't cope with that, not being able to sleep. I love the idea of that. So um, uh, yeah, they're describing it as a bit of Children of Men with a bit of Last of Us, with a bit of little bit of um, Bird Box thrown in. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a few things there that sort of are, are quite appealing. That one's coming out uh, in, uh, sorry, on Netflix uh, later this year as well. And I think that was all I had myself on the news desk this week should we jump on over to the mailbag indeed so i've got three things this week so firstly last week's peak performance um we had david fincher in the director's chair we had a, a lot of great movies to choose from as we discovered ourselves with our sort of varied choices that we had I've got some more from our listeners we had nat from wellington uh he gave us his three two one in no particular order of uh, Zodiac, Gone Girl, and The Social Network. Uh, we had Ryan go with The Social Network as well. Jason from Pori Rua went with uh, Bean John Malkovich. I'd completely forgotten about that one as well. That was another pretty sort of, pretty unique movie. <laughs> Not likely to be repeated. It was, that was great. And then we had Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast. He gave us his 321 of Alien 3. Um, which he describes as the funniest of the saga. Um, I'm curious to go back and watch Alien 3 because uh, I like it, but I can't remember how well it holds up. Fight Club, and his number one was Seven Like Us. Uh, secondly in the mailbag, then, uh, Creamery. So this is, you know, this is a show that we've both watched and enjoyed over the last couple of weeks. And we had we had a whole host of responses on social media this week. And the three lead actresses from the show, uh, so JJ Fong, Ali Shua, and Paulina Lau, all three of them shared our podcast review on their individual Instagram pages, which was which was pretty damn cool. And we had the writer director Roseanne Liang also do so, and the production company um, even posted our review on their Instagram story alongside. We got posted alongside the New Zealand Herald, TVNZ, and the spin-off, which. In New Zealand, that's that's you know that's three media entities which were you know to have our name up against is pretty impressive, and then we actually received uh, two DMs which we've never had before from people on a on a movie or TV show. Uh, firstly, from Paulina Lau, um, who played um, who played uh, safety conscious Pip. Um, she said, thanks so much for the review and all of your support. We really appreciate it. And we're keeping our fingers crossed for a second season. Thank you. And we also had one from the writer director and she said, I'm so chuffed you liked it. We really hope we can get enough love to make a bigger, better season two and your support helps our cause. So thank you. I thought that was, um, just just absolutely great to have those those messages always great to support new zealand creators and it's you know nice of them to make contact with us too so a nice wee circle of positivity there dan 
Awesome. I love that. I love that a lot. So shall we... I've, oh, you've got I've got my final thing in the mailbag, the third and final thing. And this is also quite extraordinary. So a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Mauritanian movie, um, the story of Mohamed Salahi, uh, who was imprisoned Guantanamo Bay for 14 years with that judge, somewhat extraordinarily, Mohamed and no, not the actor who played him, but Mohamed himself, saw our review and he tweeted it to all of his followers. And that then caught the attention of... Nancy Hollander, who was the defense attorney who's played in the movie by Jodie Foster, who eventually got him released. And she retweeted us as well. And I have to say, Dan, of all the things we've ever had in our mailbag, I find this the most astounding to have our podcast being shared by someone who is not, you know, is, is not a celebrity, but is someone who's been through something that he has been through. It has such an incredible life story that they've made a movie about him. That made my week. I thought that was great. That's awesome. I wonder, are we going to be allowed back in the United States now? Or- well, Dan, it's worth noting that um, there some, many of their followers include several US senators and political figures. So I quite like the idea that these guys might have been, you know, they might have had some, some half measures podcasts on their social media timeline as they were making their way into the US Capitol last week. I, I find that quite bizarre just even to imagine. But there we go. That is the mailbag this week. And there is I. All right, so uh, it must be time for our peak performance. So much like our movie of the week, uh, Paul and I take turns uh, choosing actors and actresses or directors or producers, and we choose their peak performances. So uh, this week it was my turn, and I went with uh, the Coen brothers. And so when we're doing a director, we refer to it as the director's chair. And Paul, I'm going to let you go first. This was quite a... Uh, a real real interesting one because of course having two people and I discovered that these guys you know I knew that they wrote and direct together but they also produce as well I mean these guys really do it all I mean they are really impressive my number three I went with 1998's The Big Lebowski Um, this for me is some of the funniest yet probably most just the simplest dialogue ever this movie Uh, the scenes with Jeff Bridges with John Goodman and Steve Buscemi um, even when they're just sat at the ten pin bowling and arguing, it is right up there with some of the funniest things I've ever seen. I laughed a lot at this movie, and I feel like you know Jeff Bridges is great. He gets a lot of praise as the dude, but I feel like there was such an iconic look for John Goodman. I, I would I would say right now that that would be my peak performance for John Goodman. I, I would easily rewatch this one. I don't think I've seen it in well over a decade, but yeah, Big Lebowski for me. Um, that was always going to be in the top three. The thing for me, Paul, and this is a bit of a, a dirty little secret shame, I've never seen that movie. Thanks for tuning I feel like in it's a classic. to this week's episode. We're going to stop there. <laughs> I feel like it's a movie with so much love. And when I think about it, like I, I love the Coen brothers. They do some, their, their sense of humor and their um, creative style really works for me. So I'm just, as you were talking about it, I was like, why have I never watched this movie? And it's just, for one reason or another, I've never seen it. It's uh, it's funny. I just, yeah, I just know, I guarantee that you were like this one. That's how I, I'm certain of this one. The Paul Canal guarantee? I'm interested. It's, it's, it's not worth the, yeah, it won't hold up in court. Number two for me, 1996, Fargo. And this this is a masterpiece for me. Um, Francis McDormand, uh 
is it William H. Macy? Is that his name? I can't think of. Yeah, just superb. I, it was. It was the. I always remember it was the first time I encountered that incredible Minnesota accent, and I've not really heard anything of it subsequently, other than the Fargo TV series itself. Um, it is a great story, um, and. I remember reading that there was some debate around the amount of truth it was based around, but it, it's such a fascinating. I, I think any any movie that can spawn a TV show, and a successful one at that, right? You know, we both love Fargo. I think that is proof. That's you know that um, the story, the writing itself is just top notch. It's 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 great. I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, 1996's Fargo was my number two, and then my number one. No Country for Old Men. It, it was a, a clear winner for me. I have watched this one. Of all the Coen Brothers movies, I've watched this the most. Um, again, I would say, Dan, this would be in my top 20 movies of all time. That's, again, how highly I rate this one. Javier Bardem, terrifying. Josh Brolin was was brilliant. Sprinkling a good little bit of, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tommy Lee Jones. It's it's so good the pace, um, and can I also say that just what an astonishing talent the Coen brothers to be able to write something. You know, I was talking about the the Big Lebowski as funny as that, and 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 to produce and write and direct it, and then to come and do something as terrifying and tense as this. Um, yeah, there's I've I've noted that they've got three movies out since this one, um, Hell Caesar. Buster Scruggs. This is, oh, inside Llewellyn Davis. I don't know. I'm angry at myself for not having seen these. So um, I'll be interested to see what your three choices are. But that's my three, two, one. Great choices as always, Paul. Um, so my three, two, one. Uh, the first one for me actually is the 2018 movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, oh. which is on. Uh, it's a Netflix uh, original, and this is basically it's, it's six sort of smaller stories. That all kind of come together. So it's six tales of the life and violence in the old west, following a singing gun, a gunslinger, a bank robber, um, a travelling impresario, an elderly prospector, uh, a wagon train, and a perverse pair of bounty hunters. And this is a really great watch and a, a bit of a, a surprise and delight. And what it, it's just a really fun. I think if you haven't seen it and you're on Netflix, go and check it out. You'll probably um, notice a few memes and things like that in there that are around the internet, but this is uh, top top quality Coen Brothers material, and I, I think they, they do really cool stuff when it comes to the, the Old West. Um, speaking of the Old West, I'm actually going to go with True Grit for my second choice. So that's the 2010 movie. Basically, uh, a stubborn teenager enlists the help of a tough US Marshal to track down her father's murderer. And I, again, absolutely love this movie. It's got a great cast of Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, Hayley Steinfeld, Josh Brolin. So a lot of these sort of similar actors that we're talking about in movies like Old Country for Old, No Country for Old Men. And for me, this is one of those modern day westerns that again just ticks all the boxes. Got a great, um, great story, a lot of great scenes. Um, it's kind of got a little bit of a Fargo vibe to me where it's kind mm. of a, a slow build up and then um, some really great action. And much like you were talking about with No Country for Old Men, it's probably been a little while since I've seen this movie and it definitely deserves a rewatch. 
And number one, I'm exactly the same as you, Paul. I'm in sync. 2007's No Country for Old Men. It has definitely been far too long since I've watched this movie. It's going to have to bump its way up my list. And you're so right. This is a, a stone cold killer movie. And the pacing, the timing, the acting, it's all top tier. These guys have done great. And, you know, how cool was it that you're kind of known as, as the Cohen brothers, like, to, you know, to have a, that good of a relationship with your sibling that you can actually go and write, direct, and produce movies together? I think that's pretty awesome. So, three, two, one for me The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, True Grit, and No Country for Old Men. We're in sync with the Academy, of course. You know, they got four Oscars for No Country. I'm really glad you got True Grit in there as well. That was the one which I felt bad about leaving out. Um, so, yeah, another great movie. Great three, two, one, Dan. I really, uh, really enjoyed that. And again, just like with David Fincher, we have some wide choices. So it'd be interesting to hear what people think of this week. Indeed. Well, Paul, that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. Does indeed. And our thanks to Roddenberry.com and Mission Log Podcast for supporting this week's episode. Also, a special thanks to our Patreon producers of the show, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you would like to become a Patreon, then you can find those details in the show notes below. Um, Other than that, we'll see you again next week. Adios.